Hi, welcome to Epicenter. My name is Sebastian Cuccio. This week, we've got two bonus episodes for you, both of which were recorded at the Interchain Conversations Conference organized by the Interchain Foundation and Cosmos. This event took place last week, June 13th and 14th in Berlin. This is part two of the two-part bonus series. And if you haven't already, go back and listen to part one. In the first part of this episode, we've got the validator panel, which was moderated by Brian. It was a really information-dense discussion about the validator ecosystem and some of the challenges that they face. So they talked about a bunch of things, including the role of validators in the ecosystem, which by the way, goes way beyond just securing the network. Another interesting topic was how we can keep validation decentralized and some of the things that validators are doing collectively to avoid too much centralization. Anyway, it's a fascinating discussion and Brian did a great job at moderating it. So I hope you'll find it informative and enlightening. In the second part of this episode, we've got a wonderful session moderated by Sonny. Sonny actually dressed up as a Byzantine general for this session, and he brought people on stage to debate topics related to governance, and it was fascinating to watch. At one point, Chris Goes and Jackson Poland of the Cosmos team go into this debate about revocable dictatorships, and Chris takes the position that Cosmos allows for quote-unquote safe dictatorships. It was amazing. There's some real gems in this one. I hope you'll like it. So with that, here's the Cosmos Validator panel. Thanks so much for uh, for organizing this. First of all, it's super exciting. I uh, you know have been sort of vaguely involved in Tendermint for for many years, and in Cosmos now for two and a half years. And it's awesome for the first time that like so many people come together. So hopefully next year we'll have another one of those, but with you know 600 people or much bigger scale. So yeah, thanks so much for organizing this. Um, and yeah, I'm really excited today that we have uh, you know, a bunch of our validators um, to talk a little bit about Cosmos and about uh, the role of validators and the evolution of the network so far. Um, so maybe let's get started here. Maybe we can just go around. Everybody can briefly introduce themselves, their company, and like why and how they ended up becoming a Cosmos validator. So do you want to go ahead? Hi, um, I'm Florian. I'm from Staking Facilities. We're yeah, a staking as a service provider from Munich, Germany. Uh, we came to Cosmos about like a little bit more than a year ago when we looked at the ecosystem and looked what's available. And I think that Cosmos from the beginning had a very uh, clear definition of how staking will look like. And yeah, we liked that, so we started working on it. Great. I'm Henrik, co-founder of Certus One, and we are also staking as a service provider focused on security and compliance. And uh, we got into, into Cosmos in the middle of last year, um, looking at a few platforms to build uh, decentralized applications on top of. And um, I started bashing on the Tenement code, uh, looking for bugs, and that's how we kind of got into it. Um, I'm JK. Uh, I'm the operations manager at Biffish. Um, uh, Biffish since inception has sort of changed into a more uh, bigger scope project. So we decided to um, put all of our staking validator business under Stake.Fish. And so that's why I have the Stake.Fish shirt out here. Uh, we uh, got our feet into uh, validation because uh, our founder, Wang Chun, who uh, uh, he believed that you know proof of stake is uh, coming in a big way. And Cosmos was one of the chains that had a carefully thought out uh, system. Uh, and it was very. Uh, it was one of the few that we thought would be worth. Uh, one of the earliest to market, and so that's why we decided to validate on Cosmos. 
Hi, so this is Zoro from Dokia Capital. Um, thanks for having me. <laughs> um, we're coming from a proof-of-work industry and we started researching proof-of-stake networks that were going to launch soon and we decided to ditch the whole proof-of-work uh, operation that we were doing back then and we're fully migrated to proof-of-stake now and want to do a good job. Cool, awesome. And, and yeah, just before myself, so I, uh, I, I used to be part of the Tenement team. So I was the, the kind of first non-developer there and the COO at one point and then uh, felt that was the end of 2017 that yeah, this whole, you had this design in the white paper and there's going to be these validators and they have this like important function in the network and it felt like nobody was working on it. So we started working on it back then. Uh, and of course, in the meantime, uh, lots of people working on it. So there's a change in an incredibly fast pace. Um, but so uh, I think several of you have mentioned that what appealed to you guys about Cosmos was that there was kind of a, a clear description or a clear view of staking and how it worked and the role of the validators. So how do you guys see the role of the validators maybe both in Cosmos, but also in proof of stake in general. So, I don't know, Florian, do you want to go ahead? Yeah, sure. So on one hand, we have the, the actual work that we do as a validator is validating the blocks, obviously, but I think it goes further beyond. Like we have a role of like educating people about proposals, for example, like what impact do we have on the chain? Actually, I think it's way bigger than just running it, but like the whole ecosystem relies on strong validators. And I think you can see that in Cosmos, Cosmos is so great right now because we have a very strong community like all around the world. We have a very strong Korean community, Thai, German, American, Canadian. Romania. Yeah, <laughs> Romanian, <laughs> yeah, of course, yeah. Um, so I think the, the responsibility is way bigger than just the, the technical service that we provide. I, I would strongly agree with that. I think as validators, we're, we're also ambassadors and developers. Like most of us validators have contributed in many different ways. Uh, it can be just a guide that was published. It can be a, a dashboard for staking, a block explorer, Bug, like bug reports and all of this work on the protocol itself and uh, spreading the message about the protocol itself. So I think that's also something we all feel strongly about. And uh, the fact that we validate on different chains also provides a lot of value because we're able to see, proof of stake itself is still so early on. There's a lot of parameters that needs to be hashed out. There's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of experimentation that needs to happen. And we as validators on multiple chains are able to then provide these knowledge that we accrue from other chains into like, for example, Cosmos and vice versa, where we see a lot of good uh, uh, parameters in Cosmos and we try to take that knowledge out to other chains. So I think there's a lot of value in that as well. Um, so a lot of new chains, I think there's a kind of trend in the proof of stake chains with this idea of like, you want like more validators and more nodes, right? And like the bigger the number, the better. And, uh, you know, you have things like Algorand and Infinity and, and you know, Polkadot as well to some extent. Um, what, are, what are you 
thoughts on this and the kind of like pros and cons of that, you know, tendency? Like maybe Aurel, do you want to? I think the biggest issue for the coming proof-of-stake uh, networks uh, will be staking token distribution and choosing a right validator set and also the number of validators that are validating that specific chain. So it's going to be a adventure. <laughs> um, any, anybody else want to comment on this? Yeah, I, I think that there's chains that are just targeting totally different audiences. I would say there's Cosmos-like chains that are looking for validator sets of highly professional validators, but then just a few of them, because there are just a few of them. And I think we can find a concentration of the highest quality validators on the Cosmos hub, and we've seen uh, that pattern that newly launching chains that wanted to be like Cosmos reach out to Cosmos validators because that's where they can find technical excellence and quality overall. So, uh, but obviously we also have other chains that are just aiming for huge decentralization with thousands of nodes. And I think they have totally different requirements. But I think that especially this, this, um, these chains with fewer validators but higher quality can often perform better and move faster than the others. Yeah, I would also add that what you said, like the quality of validators that is available is like there's not that big of a set of validators who actually know what they're doing. So um, I think that some of the smaller validators will realize soon that it's not affordable to them to run a really secure network. And therefore, I think chains that want to have like 200 really professional validators, they will struggle a lot to, yeah. to actually find them because there aren't just that many on the market. Yeah, I mean, I mean one, one thing that uh, I think a lot about in this context is, you know, w what does a market look like naturally? Like, is there, where is a market where you have like 100 participants with the same market share? It doesn't really exist anywhere. So if you have the idea that there's going to be like 100 validators and they all have the same size, that just doesn't seem stable, right? Like this, something is, someone is going to try to aggregate it somehow. And then, you know, it feels, for example, the logical thing to happen if you say you're going to have a lot of validators and you economically incentivize uh, such that, you know, let's say everyone gets paid the same. Well, of course, you want to run many validators, right? So then maybe you'll have some that uh, do it as a service. And, and so it, it, I think it would be very interesting to, to see that play out, where maybe on the one hand, you have people trying design system that explicitly try to prevent, you know, people forming larger businesses and then how people try to route around it. I think just one thing to add there is that um, I don't think, um, I, I personally don't think decentralization should be considered um, by the validators network power. Um, I truly believe that uh, decentralization should be measured through the token distribution. Uh, because for example, on Cosmos, uh, anyone could re-delegate instantaneously. So if you act maliciously or if you're down for too long that uh, a staker feels uncomfortable, they could easily re-delegate and suddenly the entire ranking for the Cosmos network would look entirely different. And so I think um, networks should really think about token distribution a lot, uh, a fair distribution a lot more than thinking about like, oh, how can we like entirely prevent a, a validator from accruing too much power? Of course, there's a threshold where you know you need to absolutely stop. Yes, but you know I think token distribution should be considered of um, more higher priority. 
Yeah, that's a that's actually a great topic uh, to bring up and something that's already been uh, discussed uh, various times and in many forums is, is the kind of topic of decentralization. What exactly does that mean? What's the right level of decentralization? When is the validator too big? Um, any any thoughts on, on that debate and opinions? I'm pretty biased here, so I... Oh, I so might... Yeah, <laughs> you're like... Don't worry about the validator size, token distribution. Uh -oh. Right. <laughs> that so, really helps. Thank you, So Sunny. just to point out, not enough to hold the chain. <laughs> or, or just barely. <laughs> well, there's 37% of voting power up here, but we don't control it, right? So people, if I say something wrong right now, if I say Cosmos is stupid, then it <laughs> would suddenly be probably like 30, Oops. right? So, uh, yes. and I, I think that's a big part of the decentralization is that uh, many people can make the choices. Like it's it's us maintaining the whole thing, but many people have the possibility to decide who's actually sitting here, and I think that's really important. Yeah, actually, and I think decentralization is is not just about the the power of validators, as you mentioned before, but it's also about just how these validators operate, because if they're all hosted in AWS, uh, then we're all in trouble because um, once Amazon decides that staking is not a business they want on their platform, the chain will halt. And it's also a lot about geographic distribution of the whole network, meaning not just nodes, but also legislations where the validator companies are actually located in. Or if so, suddenly Google goes down. Or Google <laughs> going down and validators suddenly stopping, which yeah. may or may not have happened. Yeah, I, I thought I thought it would have as infrastructure ready for that, right? I don't know. Um, yeah, and, and on that point, I just remember there was, you know, Cosmos is only like a few months old now, but I remember there was a that was not so long ago, but there was a pan, a, a picture of a, a panel in Hong Kong, nowhere you had like eighty percent of the Bitcoin hash rate on the panel. So you know, it's a lot better with thirty-two percent here. <laughs> um, so. Another topic that has been discussed a lot is the question of the kind of economic sustainability and model um, for validators. Any, um, yeah, what, what are your thoughts on that? Like, how do you guys think this is going to play out in the next year? I am in the camp that thinks that... Um the current layout of the land right now is going to look entirely different uh, for six months from now, namely because there will be a lot more exchanges, custo uh, cust uh, custody services, um, you know, and funds, namely, uh, who will launch their own validator service. And when they do, um, you know, some of these services will think of um, staking as a future of their product and their main revenue sources from their product, not from staking. And so, you know, they really don't need the revenue from staking and will likely charge pretty low fees. So, you know, once these guys enter, the entire market is going to look fully different. And uh, that's what at least we're preparing for, those entrants. So do you think this is a threat? I don't think it's a threat um, because they have no incentive to act maliciously, right? Um, uh, and, like, arguably, they might even, you know, they probably have their own data centers, uh, so they might have pretty good uh, infrastructure team to support the network. I don't think it's namely a bad thing, but it could harm the independent validators. That's the threat, potentially. 
I would say you need to find a niche for you if, if you're not that big. So you need to find things that you can provide to the network that they can't. So for, for example, building tools around staking, where they maybe they have an advantage because they already have the user base. If you, if you look at that giant exchange, they, they have all of that taken care of. But I think there's parts of the system where as a small company, you can act way faster and way more like in the interest of the, of the users. And I think that's exactly where you need to be. Yeah, I, I also think there's, like from our perspective, there is mostly gonna be three to four categories of validators. Like first category being exactly the custodians, exchanges, funds you mentioned. Second category being community validators, actual validators providing something to the general community as we've seen quite a few at the moment that just build tools, contribute to the project, maybe even um, get grants from the foundations and build something and help grow the ecosystem or even build a project based on Cosmos SDK and airdrop tokens like providing additional benefits to the delegators. I think this is going to be something where they can uh, provide added value compared to these other actors. And the third, probably not as relevant for Cosmos, but for potentially a few other chains, just individuals, um, people that want to run a validator from the basement, something like this. I think that's the kind of categories that we're going to see, and you have to provide an added value really to, to stand out in this field. Um, so let, let's say we do end up in a space where, cause yeah, like you pointed out, maybe exchanges, maybe some other players come in and they don't be, you know, validation is not their business, right? They have another business and, you know, like an exchange, a good example, right? An exchange doesn't really care about any particular network, right? They just want to have trading volume and the fees, as long as they have trading whatever coin, they're, they're fine, right? Is, is that a problem if you have, um, you know, stakeholders or, you know, people controlling a lot of the voting power, you know, that don't have any particular, like, no deep interest or ties with the network itself? I mean, these exchanges directly might not, but the customers of these exchanges do. And uh, if they see that the token they bought, especially larger holders that are well-informed about the project itself and the state of the project, that they will have to carry on the interest of the customer and do their best to, to help the system and provide good services as a validator. And I might even see that if the exchange grows extremely large, they will have to, to delegate to a hand-picked set of validators. Obviously, there's, there's risks involved, like slashing, but um, I think track record will, will allow them to, like just looking at the track record of validators, will allow them to pick a few to, to spread this too. I'm, I'm not sure whether this is the, the optimal way, as obviously this restricts the delegation to just a subset of the validators, but at some point they will have to give away that power, I think. I think what we have to think about is like, it's not only that exchanges list tokens and start staking on them, at one point they will start delisting stuff because it's not, uh, they don't get enough reward from it, or there's like bad press about it. And we, ha we have seen that many times with crypto that the market is going up and the market is going down. And that's where I see the problems could arise if the market goes that down that they stop delisting it and you suddenly lose, let's say, 37% of your voting power on the network. Like if validators go away because their main business model isn't, isn't anyway interested in this coin. 
Likely the exchanges and custody services have a lot more at stake. Um, they're probably going to put in a lot of their own, because like, they'll probably have custody of the funds, right? Uh, at, at least a big portion of it, of uh, whatever uh, stake they get. Um, I think they'll make sure to uh, not get slashed. So in a sense, I think they do provide value in that they're providing probably going to provide really good uh, infrastructure. Mm. Um, and also to the community side, too, because if they're passing along a lot of the rewards, um, the the rewards um, to their community members, like you know, arguably that's good for the Cosmos uh, to uh, coin holders. Um, but um, I think uh, we just need to um, depend less on some of the block rewards uh, for some of the community projects. I think that's the purpose of the community fund. Um, we should try to de deploy it and make uh, better use of it. And there's, you know, there's a reason why we have grant programs as well. Uh, we need to really start activating these so that um, some the project teams are less dependent on the block rewards and more dependent on some of these uh, grants that would give them more freedom. Um, so the the Cosmos network launched, right? And there was a whole lot of parameters set, right? From like inflation to the number of validators to like how quickly the block reward changes. How do you guys feel those parameters have been chosen? And, and do you think at this point that any of them should be changed? I don't know, maybe. Uh, I don't know if uh, it gets decided on next governance proposals to have a larger validator set, maybe that would uh, affect block times. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. So maybe block times should be taken into account. So you think like potentially larger validator set and, and uh, sort of being okay with having a slightly worse yeah, maybe slightly worse performance and I guess slightly bigger blocks because of more... Yeah, yeah, but issues. we're still in the early days. Yeah. Three months old <laughs> baby blockchain. I would say we have to be a little bit more patient. I mean, Cosmos is so new and it has been a smooth ride in mainnet so far. So uh, I, would, I would say, like, we need to figure it out before we change every, like, few months everything. So what I would say is rather... Take it slow. It's the same with like network upgrades. I, I hate the fact that we throw away the old chain and just start a new one every day, every every time. Sorry. Um, like and and then there's the just the fact that we that we say basically yeah we're responsible to store the data somewhere, but there's no incentive to do so. So if we break away and in ten years someone says like wait what what was going on in Cosmos Cosmos Hub one. Like, who will have the data? Who is responsible to provide it? I think that's, that's more the things we should think about right now than, uh, rather than how, what's the block time? Is it six or seven seconds? I think that's not important, especially since we only have transactions right now. We, we don't have an IBC ready or something like that, so it's just transactions, yeah. Hendrik, what about you? What, what, what parameters do we change? Which parameters do we change? The great thing is that soon we'll be able to change parameters as we just decided to activate the change parameter messages, which is a great thing in itself and proves governance works. But I, I think uh, what, we, we once had a call like shortly after launch where we all discussed, uh, I mean, even um, an open call where we discussed um, exactly this thing and well, some people, including me, uh, raised concerns about slashing being very low. But actually, having like looked at the network at the moment, I th I think they've been 
set to just the right values. I think 5% slashing for double signature is okay at the current state and maturity of the chain. Um, what I'm still a bit concerned about is just, just liveness slashing, so being allowed to lose 95% of blocks. Um, a risk-averse actor might even think, hey, come on, I can shut down my validator for 60% of the time and not risk double signing in that time, and I will not be disincentivized except for, of course, block rewards. Uh, I think uh, Chris Goes once opened an issue and proposed an interesting way on very granular slashing for downtime and a very incent uh, interesting incentivization layer, and I think that's something one might want to look at, but... Uh, I'm fully on the side that we've got more important uh, issues to think about at the moment. One of them, and the largest of them, being how to make Cosmos Hub useful and how to give Cosmos Hub a unique selling point, except for the validator set, so it can sustain over a long time and thrive. Yeah, like yeah. Let's dive into that topic. So, what's the most important? What are the most important things that we can do uh, in the near future to make the Cosmos Hub yeah, more useful, more powerful? Um, I really think uh, education plays a very big role in governance mostly. So if we see this scenario where Poloniex, let's say, gets a decent chunk of the voting power, their delegators should know that uh, in a governance scenario, their vote can be overridden and they can vote whatever they choose to instead of letting the exchange decide for them. Yeah, although Polonix probably doesn't let you override their vote, presumably, no? I don't know. <laughs> it would be pretty bad to see a such a, a big player gathering a lot of delegation and just deciding stuff. Yeah. In a governance scenario. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. I think, uh, as I mentioned, probably one of the most attractive properties of the Cosmos Hub is just the fact that it has all of these great validators and this really solid validator set. And I think that's something we can make immediate use of once we have IBC, of course. I think education is super important. I think this event itself is like a great step towards a better education and bringing us all together and into discussions. But uh, it's also um, things like shared security that we can explore to make use of this super solid validator set to allow um, other side chains and zones then to make use of this because spinning up a chain is extremely painful and the process of getting the validator set, incentivizing them properly is it's really painful. And that's one pain we have to take away from them to allow this, this ecosystem to, to thrive and exist at all. I would add user experience. Um, I think, like, especially in the early days of the mainnet, like, there were so many questions from people because they didn't understand how the CLI works. Just that we didn't have, like, an audited wallet at mainnet start was really hard for people. So we, we really fast saw that, like, validators, again, went really creative and found different ways to solve this issue. And I think that's also part of the future. We should always innovate and just make cool gadgets around the Cosmos SDK that just makes it attractive for everyone to use it, even if you don't know how it works in the, in the core. Um, yeah, Hendrik beat me to it, but uh, I was going to say, yeah, helping zones, uh, you know, spin up, uh, it's challenging. And uh, I mean, for us even, we're really trying to think of what will be the best way to help them. Uh, but the incentive is a bit trickier. And so I think 
there's a lot more to discuss. Um, and then uh, second was um, probably get uh, more of the community to stake. Um, I know we have a pretty high staking ratio, uh, but you know we could still do better. Uh, you know we could still increase the staking rate and. Uh, Potentially, then that would arguably help with decentralization uh, because we could incentivize the uh, because these people might want to, uh, you know, try to explore other validators. And with through education, we could direct them to actually um, uh, decentralize and um, and uh, diversify their uh, delegations. Yeah. So just briefly on the on the kind of like shared security launching zone thing uh, that we put a topic on the on conference thing. So that's tomorrow afternoon. So in case anybody wants to discuss that, please join. Um, what do you guys see as the role of the Cosmos Hub in the in the Cosmos network and ecosystem? You know, in the long run, let's say three years from now. What's that going to look like? And and how are we going to think of the Cosmos Hub? Is the Cosmos Hub going to be, you know, what it is today, one blockchain? Or is it going to be, you know, a blockchain with, uh, I don't know, DEX on it? Or is, is, the, is the Cosmos Hub kind of going to include Bitcoin Peg, Ethereum Peg, a bunch of other maybe core utilities? Anyone have a thesis on that? I... It's a it's a hard question, but I I I was talking yesterday with Felix from Chorus One about that, and I think what's really interesting is that if we look at crypto today, everything flows around money, right? So we also see the decentralized finance with Ethereum and stuff like that, and I think that in the middle of every good system is the money. So I think like the the Cosmos Hub will provide liquidity for all of those zones. So I could imagine. Uh, it having like a a stable coin on it or something like that, which all the zones around it share. Um, other than that, I hope it's um, it's it will um, stay pretty much in the same vision that we have right now. I don't think there should be any applications built on the on the hub itself, but I think that's what we have. We'll have the IBC for. I think a lot of it will depend on how the final IBC spec actually looks like and um, what the first zone are, uh, zones are going to be like and how development goes there, especially also how exchanges and custodians will, will play the game and whether these unique properties that the Cosmos Hub has at the moment, being decentralization, proper um, and solid validator set, whether that's going to stay or whether validators are going to migrate to other hubs and that's not going to be a unique property anymore. I think it's going to depend on a lot of factors that are so hard to predict at the moment. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm not going to speculate because even Ethereum and Bitcoin, uh, which both started as experiments, um, the narrative has changed drastically over time. I expect uh, something similar for Cosmos. Uh, but I just think what's important is try to get as many people to build on top of it and to really... Um, uh, try to improve it. Uh, I think that's the most important part because at the end of the day, it's all about the community, the developer community. Um, so as long as we get that going, you know, five years from now, I see it, you know, as something, uh, something unique, something that you know, companies real adopt adoption, you know, real apps that could be usable, uh, you know, being built on. Yeah, I'll sort of answer that question too a little bit, and I guess it sort of alludes to what, the way I phrased it, right, is that I think, you know, if you look at the Cosmos Hub today, right, you already have 
you know, very large, val- like a, a extremely high level of economic security, right? With like a market cap of uh, 1.3 billion or something like that. And a lot of that being staked. Uh, so in some way, it would make a lot of sense to use that to kind of guarantee some core functionalities and utilities of kind of this larger internet of blockchains. So I think if you think of some, uh, you know, a bunch of particular stuff that, you know, is really important to have. And I would think, for example, like maybe Bitcoin and Etherpeg, like these complicated peg zones to proof of work chains could be one thing. Uh, yeah, stablecoin could be a good idea, right? Maybe that would be part of it. Maybe DEX. Uh, so I think it might make sense, right, to have basically the same validator set and atoms securing directly. You know, and maybe in the future it'll be mandatory, right? You become a Cosmos a validator on the hub, and you have to validate those five chains in exactly the same validator set and the same security. Um, so that at least seems to be one path that I. I could say you play out. I, 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 has a, I sort of disagree with that. Uh, I do think the beauty of Cosmos is uh, sovereignty and the fact that like you have the choice. Um, and so that could be one choice, but I do truly believe that um, you know um, the zones or hubs, um, they should have the choice not to do so as well. Yeah, of course. No, I'm not saying like you have to do it. And, and especially application-specific zones and stuff, like they would have their own validator set, I think, in general. But more like if you, know, if you have, like, let's say, a DEX would be something that's shared across uh, you know, all kinds of blockchains. Or like uh, you know, Ethereum pick. It doesn't make that much sense to have like a dozen different Ethereum picks. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, let's uh, maybe let's take some questions. If anybody has any questions for validators, yeah. Um, as you anticipate more and more chains launching in the Cosmos ecosystem, what sort of deciding factors do you take in to validate which chains? I think being a validator at the moment, you're just a bit like a, a VC fund. You have to really do due diligence on the project. You have to look at the potential market, technical potential, at the team, and all of these factors, at um, incentive design, uh, the economic and token model. I think these are very the various things we look at when we evaluate projects. But I think with a shared security model where governance can be deciding factor and also take a lot of the individual work on the one validator away from them, but just um, put, it, put the burden on the governance to decide, I think that's also a very interesting thing model for, the, like, for the, our future. Idealistically, the future of the project, how promising it is. Uh, but frankly, um, we do need to keep the lights on on the servers that we run. Uh, and uh, that's sort of where, again, I'm, we're, we're really thinking about how to properly set that up because it's 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 pretty tricky uh, to try to create a to be sustainable on some, some of these uh, projects. I pretty much agree with the guys. I, I would also say, like other validators that are on there, like if you you can have a great project, but if you're the only validator who's believing in it you will not run the chain on your own. So I think that's why there's a lot of talks between validators like, hey, what are you doing? And what, like, people are sharing like their vision for stuff because they know that they can't do it on their own. They, they need 
they need each other. So it's, it's funny because we're all competitors sitting up here, but we also talk a lot about stuff that we will want to do in the future. And I think that's, that's something like, I totally agree with the whole uh, looking at the project, looking at the team, also like the financial stuff and everything. But I think like also the, the other validators that onboarded is important. I just want to have a quick follow-on to that question. Um, what are the uh, what are the actual costs involved, like uh, concrete costs in running a new zone? Uh, I mean, if there were no costs involved, then you would just run everything, presumably. But but there must be some costs that make you want to decide carefully. I mean, it, it depends on which project you're talking about, right? So, like as we said with the Cosmos Hub, you have different parameters that you can tweak. So every every zone will be a little bit different, I guess. And then you'll have to run the servers, for example. Like, I mean, it's non-trivial to actually run a good setup here, and it will cost you money. And if the, if the rewards that you generate with your validator are less than what you pay for your server, you really have to believe in the long-term vision of the project that it's worth for you to, to pay that cost. Is, is the computational load significant? I, I assumed it was just actually the, the securing it and running it well and stuff. And I feel like if you're running... One server well is probably pretty easy to, to run another virtual machine in there or something like that, or whatever you do. Um, so I was wondering, is there also a computational cost? We have to scale up the hardware, and that costs a lot. Yeah, computational yeah. cost itself is not too high. It's really a lot about maybe cost of implementation. But with Cosmos zones, like we have a lot of parallels between these setups, which makes it easy for us to automate the process of rolling them out. So it's mostly only the cost of keeping your key secure, which is basically the core uh, the, the essence of running a validator and just having these servers and ideally distributed among different data centers and clouds so it's really resilient uh, even within one validator so costs can vary. Um, and labor because um, we spend an insane amount of time just monitoring chats everywhere, uh, governance, uh, technical updates, it, it, it adds up. Yeah, I, I would sort of add to this, like, you know, at least for, from a course one perspective, that, like, okay, if you, like, validate on a chain, then, you know, we also want to be involved in, you know, where this chain goes and the decision making and understand it and kind of in the community and do education and content. And all of those things are, like, a lot of work, right? And, and especially, like, understanding these protocols where, you know, there'll be differences and, and often documentation is not so great and information is lacking. So I think the, the whole, like all of that is a lot of work, right? And if you, if you just want to sort of run a node and like you don't really care so much about the details, then of course that, that part is, uh, and especially if it's built on Cosmos SDK and you can basically reuse almost everything, maybe not that high. But that, you know, that kind of also ties a lot into what, you know, you know, what, what, what should be the role of the validators on a particular chain? Hi, guys. So, Thanks for joining us today. So I'm going to be the jerk who makes a comment instead of asks a question. I heard someone say that at launch we didn't have an audited wallet ready. Yes. And there's something that I actually fell over in communicating uh, when I was running audits before our launch. Part of the reason that we were a little behind on that front was that very late in the game, 
we made very significant architectural changes to the wallet that we were developing. And we also chose to have that be an independent thing. Um, the ICF ended up funding it on its own. But we spun that out and made those decisions so late in the process. We did have an audit kick off a few weeks into the time, but we had to give them time to basically rebuild the thing. And so I feel bad on one side because I would have liked to have had it, but the architectural changes we made were such a big deal and so much of an improvement on the security side for the user that like, yeah, I'm sad we didn't land on time and our flight was late, but it's cool we got there. So. Yeah, and it, finally it works, right? So that's great. But I think the only thing I was saying was that the user in the beginning, it was really hard because the only thing that was officially put out there was the CLI. Totally yeah. agree with you. Yeah. Totally feel you on that. Sorry, I just couldn't let it rest. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, so as the um, as commissions go down and sort of validators become sort of uh, ubiquitous from the point of view of a delegator, how should delegators choose a validator and how do you guys think about sort of differentiating yourselves uh, from each other and like providing added services or whatever? Like, Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think it, it's going to be hard because actually the, the things you, you write on your website, the delegator cannot verify if they are true or not. And if you, if you look at the... Uh, at the details like how people choose, like if you ask them why did you choose us, it's mostly like, oh, I looked at this block explorer and I choose one of the top X validators. Like I picked one out, I liked the website and it, it was okay. So I think it's really hard to differentiate yourself in the space. But what I think you can do is just be active everywhere, try to help people out if they are in problems and basically build stuff where people say, yeah, that's useful for me. For example, we currently developing our um, staking dashboard, which is really interesting if people start to realize that they have to pay taxes on their staking rewards. And suddenly, I mean, Cosmos Hub 1 isn't available anymore. The data isn't on any node where you can query it. And we say, yeah, okay, we give you everything for your tax report. You just click one button and you download it. That's a value that we can give you that maybe other validators can't. So Ultimately, I think that it's just about what services can you get your customer that others can't or worse of a job by. Um, there will be, I, I know, I'm aware of at least one project working on rating uh, validators. I mean, there will be rating services basically out there because you need that and then with that, potentially you could over, um, you know, uh, put on insurance products on that as well because eventually validators will probably need will like to have um, insurance as well. So um, I think rating products is just a, a core necessity. Like, it, it will come, for sure. Um, and it's very hard to uh, compare security infrastructure between uh, amongst uh, validators because no one is going to disclose too much because talking about security itself is the most insecure part of infrastructure security. Yeah, I, I think I also believe in that review part for a bit. Um, there's two kinds of reviews. There's just a review talking, speaking with a validator, interviewing them and asking them for details, which I can totally lie about. I can, I can have my validator running in my basement um, and advertise a tier four data center with active, active validation and using the ledger, whatever product, um, to secure my keys. So I think um, at some point we'll start seeing really companies doing proper audits 
of these validators and provable audits. And I think once reviews reach that kind of, of professionalism, there will be um, factors where you can decide between different validators. And of course, you have the added added um, value that the validators can provide. But obviously, there will be validators also playing in the category number one, working with custodians, uh, exchanges. And I think there's a whole set of different niches in which a validator can fit. And I think that's how they will uh, set themselves apart. Yeah, I, I would add, uh, so of course, yeah, security is obviously one thing, right? Because the, the, the getting slashed is, is a big risk. So, I mean, we, we for example, did a security audit, small security audit, but at least one. Um, I, but I think the other way that, as a token holder, I think it makes sense to think of it is if you, um, you know, if you look at commission rates, you know, if you look at the atom price, right, it's of course highly volatile. And, you know, the future of the network, it could be massive or it could fail. And, you know, the, the kind of delta there is just enormous. Um, and I think, as so far, right, validators have a, have a very valuable role in the network. And so I think to, to choose validators based on, you know, to what extent do they help and maximize the actual probability of success of the project, you know, is, you know, it's kind of the right thing to do as opposed to, you know, let's say there may be some new, uh, or, you know, a bunch of validators that may not add much value, but, you know, let's say they do like 1% commission or 0% commission or something like that. Which, you know, okay, in the short term, maybe you save a little bit of money, but uh, I mean, certainly, if that happens at scale in the network, I do think Cosmos will not end up succeeding. You know, maybe you can kind of get away with it; it's just yourself. But uh, I don't think it's it, it's good for the network. Yeah, and I also think one more distinguishing factor is that validators are kind of political parties in a way when it comes to governance decisions. Of course, you can override them. But if you can trust your validator to decide with a specific mentality that you know and that they advertise, I think it's also a factor that you can that you can use to choose, or you don't choose at all and just hatch your risk over 20, 30, 50 even validators, uh, which is totally also uh, an option for the future when validation is more or less commoditized and you just hedge your risk over more uh, because security differences will be so insignificant. Uh, hey guys. Uh, this is Jack. Uh, we talked about a number of pain points today already, I think especially around upgrades. I, I definitely hear that one. Uh, besides upgrades, what are the biggest pain points that you guys will, like, what is the biggest pain point that you guys are running into that you'd like to see fixed? And alternatively, what's the feature that you guys are most looking forward to? Not IBC, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, I'll start with one thing, and I kind of tied into what Florian said, right? So just uh, the data on rewards and being able to basically have a proper data of like who earned how much at what time. Um, so that's that's something that's and yeah, and then the data being missed with uh, chain upgrades or like not there properly. So I think that's that's a big. Uh, you know, substantial issue at the moment. Just a quick side note on that. Uh, Bez is upstairs uh, fixing the event reporting, so we will have better reporting after the next upgrade. <laughs> okay. So, thank you. <laughs> For me, it's uh, two parts. Uh, one is uh, regulatory and clarity. 
like, uh, you know, uh, blockchain crypto is the entire space is relatively new and the regulatory bodies are just catching up to it. Within it, proof of stake is even newer. And so it seems like there is even less clarity on that front. So uh, this is sort of out of, I think, the Tendermint's team's, like, uh, you, know, uh, cap uh, you know, it's out of everyone's reach right now, right? Uh, but the best we could do is try to talk a lot with the regulatory bodies and lawyers uh, to clear things out. Another is... Um, the governance talks, I think, are a little too dispersed, uh, meaning like it's happening on way too many uh, channels, and it's very difficult for validators to track them. I can't imagine how it feels for the committee members. Uh, so uh, I feel like that there needs to be uh, more standardization of how these discussions are happening. Um, this is Dean. So. There, there's a, a spectrum for, of you know validating for yourself versus validating for others, and there's analogies in the in the um, you know pre-blockchain world of you know custodian services or fiduciary responsibility to your customers or you know any, or any of weaker uh, such assertions. Have you guys talked about that or thought about that or thought about what when validating for others, what kind of assurances you'd like to you know be certified for, or provide, or compete on, or what have you? I mean, um, uh, for us as a validator that's also focused on, on compliance, we work closely with um, our fund clients. And it obviously also means having some kind of off-chain assurance, which means a really well thought through and uh, reviewed contract with them that ensures them specific details like uh, a reward SLA and um, specific other points when it comes to governance decisions, etc. So um, we definitely are thinking about these kind of things, and it's constantly being developed. With the more funds we speak, the more we learn about our own contracts and what the actual requirements of these customers are. And obviously, they are totally different from a normal retail delegator. And I think that's something um, quite a few validators are, look, are looking into, and it's extremely important to, to, to take care of these things, especially also looking at uh, liability of a validator looking at slashing risk, et cetera. So we have time for one last question, um, and then discussions can continue over at the party, just over where we were having lunch. Um, I, I was wondering if, if you feel that, um, if all you feel that it's unethical for validators to hack each other, or if that's good for the system and part of the security model. <laughs> are, are you aware of a, such threat? <laughs> No, no, I just theoretically from the white paper. <laughs> oh, yeah, from the white paper, there the was the, the, the hacking and uh, transaction where you could, could claim a bit, I, I think, and get a bounty for, for hacking a validator. I think there's a few factors, one of them being uh, the law um, preventing you from doing such things. Um, we, there can be a thousand things written down in the white paper. Um, a court will probably have a different opinion about these kind of things, but obviously uh, it's an exciting thought and we are all, I mean, the, the, what we think about when, we, when we're working on, on our validator setups is hardening as it as much as possible to make exactly these kind of attacks, not by another validator, but by an outside attacker um, as hard as possible and ideally mostly impossible, which doesn't exist in security, but... As, as hard as possible. I think that's our job in the end as validators. Um, I mean, we're, we're all here because we're going to be around in the validator space, at least for the foreseeable future. We're going to see each other constantly, and I do want to keep smiling when I meet my fellow validators. So like, I think it's unlikely uh, for validators to be hacking each other, but outside attacks definitely are a possibility. Yeah.
I mean, we had Game of Stakes, and for a limited amount of time, it was really funny to to see people go <laughs> offline. It's not that funny if real money is involved, and not just you or your other like your competitors, but there's users' money involved in this. So I think, yeah. Yeah. All the good points well, were said about this, yeah. Well, yeah, and then you bring up, an, it's an interesting point, because you've acted maliciously, so hypothetically, yeah. you're probably going to lose a lot of your stake, unless your delegator really loves hacking. Exactly, and I, I, w I would say, if one of the validators here finds a bug in the setup of another one, the thing, probably what would happen is the same, like, if there's a bug in the Cosmos SDK phone, which we had recently, that there's a quiet communication between those two parties, to ensure that the network itself gets hardened yeah. and not to hurt someone just because it's funny or just because you're better than them. Yeah, I think we're stronger together, growing the, the whole of the cake and making the market bigger. Yeah. Okay, well, well, Hendrik, that was a wonderful note to end on, so thank you very much. So yeah, thanks, thanks so much for all the great questions. And yeah. everyone we're gonna go ahead and get started with our next session which is a discussion about governance with our very own favorite Byzantine general Mr. Sonny Agarwal <laughs> thanks for joining us Sonny thank you all right hey everyone uh, Sonny again um, so yeah so the hill behind me is called the Panix it is um, a hill in ancient Athens uh, and this is like, this hill is like the birthplace of democracy. Like in, in ancient Athens, uh, on those steps over there, like orators would come up and like people would like meet in this spot and like, you know, participate in like public debate and discussion about like topics of the day and like governance and whatnot. And then, you know, people would, they'd raise their hands and like vote. And, you know, that's how this is like considered like, you know, this is like basically early, early democracy. And so today I thought, you know, I was thinking about giving a talk on governance and stuff, but I've already actually done that quite a bit, uh, especially, mo I don't know if I've done talks on it much, but I definitely, I've talked about it a lot on a number of different podcasts already. So, and, you know, but what's actually interesting is I found out while, while going on these podcasts and talking about it, like me and Jay have like very different opinions on governance. And like, I'm like, wait a second, you know, instead of just me going out and like spouting my opinions on governance, maybe we should let people with differing views on stuff come up and we'll like debate and like de we'll have live public debates about governance and like, you know, the role of governance in Cosmos. We'll have some on like some current events in Cosmos, like some active proposals and whatnot. Um, and, you know, we can vote like, you know, because I'm pretty sure we have enough voting power or validators in this building that we can probably just like knock out a bunch of governance proposals today. Just like, you know, no, I'm joking. Um, but yeah, so I mean, here are some possible topics. Uh, I'm not going to wear this hat anymore because it's really hot and I can't hear anything. Um, but yeah, so, you know, here's a couple of random topics that I just came up with. Uh, but, you know, if anyone has any more topics, please suggest it. And so I'm thinking, you know, maybe we can just go ahead and do some, you know, five to ten minute debates on a topic. And so, you know, I'll take volunteers and stuff and whatnot. So, you know, just to get the first one kicked off, you know, let's start, you know, some of them are more about, oh, 
Some of them are more about like specific topics, uh, like at current events. But let's start off with one that's more about the um, process of governance. And so the first one, uh, two people have already asked to speak on this. So you know, I'm going to give it to them. Next one, we'll, we'll take in volunteers from the audience. So first off, we'll have Jay and Rigel who will come up and discuss about plutocracy. Or at least what I claim is plutocracy. Jay says it's not. <laughs> OK. Uh, hello, hello. And so basically, you know, what, what we'll do is, you know, we'll have it be a short debate. Um, you know, I guess maybe what we can do is I'll give you guys both like one minute to like kind of, you know, propose your idea or how of what you think Cosmos governance should look like. You know, some, just some framing of the deba debate, what the topic is. So, you know, there's essentially this debate that I was having with Jay about like, you know, should atom holders be the sole participants in governance? Basically, how I, I view it, which, you know, Rigel will be taking that point, well, it's kind of more like, well, I'll let him explain it, but, you know, the question is, should atom holders be unilaterally able to make upgrades to the Cosmos Hub, or should they have to, like, you know, take into account, you know, get the opinion, is, should we have a more soft governance style, the kind that's available in Bitcoin and Ethereum, where you kind of need this weird, rough social consensus. Um, so yeah, Jay, how about uh, you go ahead, and I'll give you one minute to start and be, give your, your, your pitch. Okay, um, <clears throat> so we're having this discussion um, at, at some uh, Cosmos after party, and uh, uh, we, we, it, it turns out a lot of it was, I think, semantic uh, differences or differences of like definitions, but uh, the position that uh, I, was, I was saying uh, was that the best thing we should do for the Cosmos hub and the Cosmos network is for there to be clear understanding that the stakeholders, uh, specifically the bonded stakeholders, but the stakeholders should, uh, in, in other words, the atom holders, um, should be responsible for making decisions. And that when a validator, say, or a, or a delegator um, disagrees uh, with the outcome of, say, a governance vote that happened by the stakeholders, in general, that they should disagree and commit. Um, and also that, uh, that the stakeholders, um, uh, it's, it's kind of like they're, they're, they're shareholders of a company, say. You know, it's not exactly the same thing as a security or, or stock or equity, but um, uh, uh, there should be representatives um, or uh, experts who are helping guide the development and the, and the operation of this blockchain to best provide services to customers or consumers who are you know, all the users of the system. And so I think uh, it's, it's important, first and foremost, to have a clear understanding of who is able to make the decisions. I'll give you 90 seconds. 90 seconds. Okay. Uh, I don't know if I actually have the same opinion that Sunny has, but uh, what I would, how I would kind of approach this problem as to who's making the decisions on the Cosmos network is I would just start off by saying that, like, I don't know, it's my opinion that a lot of the atom distributions are, you know, and a lot of distributions in cryptocurrencies in general are oftentimes more or less arbitrary. So, you know, I, I think that there's the possibility that you can have, like, a misalignment between um, the people who are actually making the decisions, aka the atom holders, and, you know, the best option for the techno technological development, aka, you know, certain people who are making advancements um, in the code bases. So 
I don't know. Like I I I think what's gonna I think what's going to happen is I, I, I want that alignment to take place. I, I think it would be really good if you know the people who actually hold the explicit power on a network are the ones that um, you know are, are making the best decisions for the network. So I think there's like a, a few ways in which this kind of entropy can dissipate. One way, which I think is obviously already happening, is you know a lot of people uh, are learning about the technology. So you know if you are a stakeholder in a system, naturally speaking, you're going to become more versed in the system. And I think there's lots of that going on, which is freaking amazing. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, like a, a more like radical dissipation is the potential for, you know, and I wouldn't imagine this happening in the short term, but like, oh, all right, let's go. All right. Uh, and you guys can have maybe like three or four minutes kind of like, I don't know, see if you can reconcile and at least figure out what, you know, solve governance in the next three minutes. like. Human governance is solving. Um, <laughs> okay, so, uh, well, I, I think, yeah, I, I think that, um, it's, yeah, the distribution is not optimal. Um, yeah. I do think that the, the Atom stakeholders will, uh, that it will evolve over time to become nearly optimal, um, or not, you know, sufficiently close to optimal. I don't know how optimal it can really be, but, but um, it's just that, um, for example, mm, there's going to be a bunch of other tokens on the Cosmos Hub, say, right? mm -hmm. like, or other currency tokens. I think for the Photon token or, or other currencies, I think it makes sense to have a separate governance system just for that token. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe something more long uh, uh, has like, like maybe like uh, uh, voting terms or, or periods, time periods, you know, mm -hmm. so that more people can participate. Mm -hmm. Whereas in the, in the governance of the Cosmos Hub and the operation of it, sometimes and often we have you have to react to things quickly, right? So, so there needs to be different kinds of governance systems between, say, the operation of the Cosmos Hub and, and the governance of, of tokens and the issuance and inflation, you know, and all that. Um, so as long as there's like these clear separations, um, I, I think it's good that, and as long as we provide sufficient ways, ensure that there are ways to exit the system, mm -hmm. um, it, I think it makes it so that um, this, this expert group of validation delegators who are voting on behalf of trying to, you know, trying to provide the best services for everyone, including other tokens and, and, and voters there, um, is, is probably the best um, uh, system that can quickly evolve to become a, a close to optimal solution for everyone. Yeah, I, I would agree that like through the decentralization, you know, through the decentralization of governance by actually having many different networks, aka through zones, uh, yeah, I mean, you're, it's, it becomes an ecosystem. So you, whatever, whatever governance system is actually driving technological development in the most rational way, hopefully in the long term is you know what's going to win out, and maybe it's not one. You know, it's probably going to be several working together. Um, the the one other point that I, I just kind of want to plug in here, um, which I've been thinking about a little bit, is <clears throat> the possibility that like through having a lot of stake in a network, you might actually be uh, driven to make poor decisions for that network in the long term in favor of like short term profitability for whatever your token is. So. I don't know. It's just like an interesting idea that like why like for-profit organizations and corporations can sometimes make worse decisions based on their own self-interest than you know what the true uh, ideal solution is in the long term for the for the technology, for instance. So I, I could imagine that like you know maybe there's gonna maybe there will be different types of zones that don't don't have the same kind of voting procedure as one atom one vote. 
um, that maybe will end up inevitably driving the technology. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> so I mean, okay. So for Jay, like uh, you know, you're 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 and you're you're analyzing it to like shareholders, right? You said that you know it's not a plutocracy because you know. What do you call Apple shareholders a plutocracy? Well, yeah, by the way, not necessarily shareholders, but but also including like the, the, the board members and the employees yeah. and so on. Yeah. But. So I mean, so you know, one of your least favorite companies in the world, Facebook, right? Like, you know, maybe they might be like their shareholders might be making decisions to optimize their profitability to the detriment of society. Which you know, we can't into debate about that. But you know, you you seem to think that, uh, and so. You know, why, how do you know the atom holders just won't do the same thing? That they'll they'll ultimately degrade the experience of the entire blockchain ecosystem in order to profit themselves. Okay, you're really putting me on the spot here. Thank um, you. Yes. I, th I think that um, what's important is that there's exit. Byzantine general. That's what I do. Okay. Okay. So Byzantine general. Um, I think I think that the problem, the, the biggest problem I have with Facebook is that they don't provide an exit. They they, they have like this network effect, a social network effect. Sure. So, so so Google Plus had, Google Plus was exit, but the network effects of Facebook were just so strong. I mean, sure, you can go to the, like a different hub, but like you know, I, I bet the, the the network effect of the Cosmos hub are going to be really strong. Well, yeah, well, look, people, Facebook consumers cannot like get together and say, you know, we don't agree with this censorship policy, so we're gonna take all the Facebook's data, fork it, and create a new thing called Facebook 2, right, or Facebook cash, whatever. Um, but but with the blockchain, you can. So I, I think that's, that's for me, the fundamental problem is that there's, there's no way to fork it out. Yeah, I, I mean, like, it, through all the interoperability that's being developed, it's gonna be really easy to have, I think in the future, like uh, you know, cross-zone applications, for instance. So I don't know that I think that provides a pretty clear exit strategy. Like you could you could you could be using an application that you want to be using and not have it be dependent on necessarily the Cosmos hub, but on you know some other hub. You could have it interoperating, right? But what do you say? It has less to do. It has the the benefit here comes from the open source nature of the Cosmos hub, where the fact that if you don't like it, you can go fork the code. Yeah, while and source. you can't do that with Facebook. You can fork it, um, or you can create, uh, as long as we make the protocol so that you can create another hub and make it easy for others to use that hub and strangers to do it if they choose to. Um, and there's competition. So like, um, you know, so you're gonna get bad apples, right? Or, or companies or, or, or groups with, with bad culture or, or, or ideology that you don't agree with. And, uh, and that's okay, as long as there's enough competition that through uh, market forces and, and, and the ability to exit, um, people will arrive at a, at a pretty good dominant solution eventually and just kind of settle there. You know, I'm sure it'll, yeah. Like, uh, imagine if the Facebook application had the capability to, you know, have, like you could just be using your Google Plus account or whatever it is inside of your Facebook UI. Like I think that that's kind of a solution that we'd we'd like to see with the interoperability of the applications across the network. Cool. Looks like we all right. We solved it. Governance is solved. <laughs> all right. Um, all right. What, what do you guys want for the next topic? Someone call something out. Ah. Yes. This is um, an idea about um, like okay, how about I, I, I I'm personally going to nominate Chris for this one to take the pro. 
arguing for the concept of revocable dictatorship. And then would someone like to take, someone who's familiar with the topic want to take against? All right, Jack. All right, thank you guys. Thank you. Um, how about Chris just goes ahead and introduces the topic as along with, no. I'd like to start out with the postulation that democracy is a really bad system of governments. Democracy doesn't do a great job at choosing the optimal decision. It doesn't do a great job at representing stakeholders, but what it does do pretty effectively is allow uh, the citizenry of a, of a, of a common, say, um, of a country, but of a, of a common resource to kick out bad governors. Notice that we never choose to do accepting, uh, perhaps accepting Switzerland, we never choose to do direct democracy in choosing laws in our political systems today. Rather, we elect representatives. How well that works is debatable, but one of the reasons uh, in practice why it often doesn't work so well is that the underlying resource, land, is finite and protected with uh, a legal monopoly over the use of force. However, in blockchains, we don't have this problem. The Cosmos hub, any hub, any zone, Bitcoin, Ethereum, all uh, are subject to what I would like to call fork threat that it's possible at any point in time for anyone who wants to change the rules and launch a new version of the system, including the state, because the state can be ported, it's public, they can do so. They can convince all the users of the system, if they can switch the social consensus, to start using the new version. So I postulate that dictatorship has just become a lot safer. Instead of having democratically elected governments, which we you know, have to, have to limit in their power, their ability to be flexible in choice, and their uh, ability to take different points in the design space and experiment because uh, they have this monopoly on the use of force and they occupy uh, land, a finite resource, we can just have many blockchains with dictators. Some of those dictators will do terrible things, but that's fine because people can exit. And over time, the selection, the evolution, the natural selection effect of the better dictators, just like the natural selection effect in markets on companies, which are dictatorships, which are hierarchical structures, will lead to blockchains competing as systems and providing, in the end, a much better selection for the end users. Right. Jack. Wow. Where to start there? Um, so are we in this whole blockchain thing to like avoid centralization of power in individual people for every Cincinnatus, for every George Washington, there's 10 Stalins and Hitlers and Mao's, you know? And I think that the, the history of centralized control throughout human history shows that revocable dictatorships don't work and lead to bad outcomes. I think your points around uh, blockchain systems being slightly different is potentially true. Um, especially, uh, lost my train of thought there. I'll come back to that one. But I would rather see us explore more democratic voting methods for improving democracy. I think right now we have these very infrequent elections that are relatively like high barrier to entry in terms of um, information. Uh, I think especially local elections are extremely difficult uh, like that. But what about instead of looking at revocable dictatorships, we look at things like liquid democracy and uh, quadratic voting and other uh, democratic implementations that help 
solve some of the issues that we see with democracy today. You guys can have a back and forth. Chris starts, though. I think we can just sidestep the problems by not having democracy. I mean, you're right, democracy has problems. I absolutely agree with that. Those problems are really complex. They result in, you know, result from multi-stakeholder, uh, you know, game theoretic challenges. They result from uh, 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 sort of the, the differences between how mimetic theory and large-scale human networks work versus how our emotions were evolved over millions of years of really, really small group dynamics. Those two don't match up well. This causes huge problems, especially in accuracy of information and media, uh, in, in choosing in sort of public choice theory and choosing uh, based on the utility of many different stakeholders in a network. And I postulate that the reason why uh, human civilization has become so much wealthier in the past several centuries is because we have moved as much of our uh, uh, decision-making frameworks as possible to dictatorships. Companies are dictatorships. The idea of a free market is just of companies is just the same essential idea as a free market of blockchains, except that blockchains can credibly commit to enforce particular rule sets to behave fairly, say, when running a, a, a currency, when running a system which a lot of people care about in a way that companies really can't do, even if they wanted to. And in practice, uh, uh, e.g. Facebook, they don't. Could, but, also, but couldn't, um, to your point about revocability, wouldn't a blockchain allow revocability to be maintained in a way that maybe human systems don't? I think that's the only valid argument for this. Um, but... <laughs> uh, one, yeah. I also like to clarify that I don't even think the dictatorship needs to be revocable. I think you can just so, fork okay. the blockchain. So, so, like, so to, your, to your point about companies specifically and companies being dictatorships, also at large company scale, we're seeing more and more companies run as essentially large bureaucracies. And I think that that kind of idea is really maybe Craig, not as accurate in real life. Is, is it, is it the Sorry, yeah, uh, Chris, I, w I want to ask, is, is your idea of an ideal blockchain actually just a MySQL database running in a shoebox in your closet? <laughs> like, isn't that how you would, isn't that be, maybe, you'd run, maybe you'd run out of data center, but uh, wouldn't that be the, the, block, the blockchain with a dictatorship? I mean, that way you control the, you have the admin password, right? That's a dictator, the admin password. Wouldn't that be... Uh, well, a primary difference is that the MySQL database is private. So to be clear, the reason I think dictatorships work much better in the blockchain context is that the exit costs are really low, and hopefully inter-blockchain communication will make the exit costs even lower. So, so when do I get to build the dictator module where there's a key that allows you to make arbitrary store mutations, and it's controlled by governance? So my proposal no, 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 is... No, no, no. So, so the, other, the other part we're talking about here is credibly limited dictators. Dictators in the real world can exploit the monopoly over the use of force to extend far beyond whatever they had initially said they were going to do. Well, this, this dictator would be uh, credibly restrained. Like, governance would control the key and could vote him out at any point, but the, the dictator could use his power to arbitrarily change state. That's something you'd be in favor of? Uh, I think it would be interesting. Again, there's an infinite space of possible blockchains, and they can have different restrictions on their dictators, so I'd rather we explore the full gamut 
Uh, maybe not, you know, I, I, the data has to be public for the fork threat to be there, so I don't think a MySQL database works. But a one validator chain uh, with, with, you know, some way to exit, I mean, that's plasma, right? That, that point in the design space is already being explored. Right, question. Um, I, I'll make an opinion. Love to get your feedback on it. Is it, is, is it maybe true that if you have recursive liquid democracy implemented on blockchain, what people will tend toward is actually uh, eventually a kind of revocable dictatorship? That through liquid democracy, what will emerge is that people trust um, indirectly as perhaps a singular person. I think what we've seen is that as societies have become larger, the ones that have been more successful have been more open and decentralized power more and more. And I think in Europe and America, we've seen a lot of that, especially over the last hundred years. And I think the systems that will end up winning and the ones that I personally want to work on are more open and democratic and less closed in dictatorships. But anyway, that's more of an editorial. I, 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 I disagree. I would... Uh put open and democratic in opposition to each other uh, rather than in conjunction. Like yeah, some yeah, sort of I, mean, I think theory. that's a good idea. Uh, what, do you, what do you guys think about a proposal on the Cosmos Hub that, you know, what we can do is we can elect one uh, dictator, right, and who basically gets 51% of the voting power for a year. I'm not touching this. And, but 33% but, but of the voting power can veto them. And if they get vetoed, all of their atoms get slashed, and they're basically shunned and kicked out of the Cosmos community forever. So I want to note that I think there is one other advantage of the current Cosmos Hub governance system uh, that mature democracies don't really have because they've like reached this threshold point of mimetic competition. But right now, Cosmos governance is effective at producing interesting ideas. And that's a useful function of a democracy. I'm not suggesting we get rid of that. So there would still, we would still want in this, in this dictator Anyone example. Anyone can propose, the, the right. dictator just has 51% of voting power. Yeah, I think as soon as we have IBC, as soon as a credible fork threat exists, so that if I don't like any of the dictator's decisions, I can you know, launch the Cosmos Hub version two, and the, our version, we're already in version two, version uh, 1A, whatever it is, version anti-sunny, uh, version cloudy, Cosmos <laughs> Hub cloudy, and the Cosmos <laughs> Hub cloudy will change the rule set, and people who want to migrate over IBC can individually choose to do so. Since the interoperation protocol will continue to function between those chains, a kind of you know, collective shelling point game doesn't need to happen. So individuals can make choices, the fungibility, say, of atoms would be maintained, and everybody wins. Instead of choosing between people with op opposing preferences, we can get the best of both worlds by allowing them to vary parts of the rule set according to what they want. I want to introduce into the conversation the concept of polycentrism from, from the Ostroms. Um, uh, the idea is that different decisions need to be made uh, at different scales. Uh, for many, many decisions, we should be acting as sovereign individuals because it's best for us to just make the decision on our own separately. Uh, and that's sort of the ultimate in decentralization. And then the reason we, we engage in activities where we coordinate with each other to arrive at a decision together is because there's some underlying problem that is best solved if we can arrive at a joint decision. And that takes us up all sorts of levels of scale. Um, I think what we're all agreed here as a theme is sort of the general theme also of polycentrism that you should always make decisions as separately at as fine grain as possible. From this perspective, a, a large blockchain, like a Bitcoin or Ethereum, even if it's decentralized in one sense of decentralizing trust, 
it's very centralized from a polycentrism perspective because it's all of this activity for making a single decision. Um, I think what you're arguing, arguing for is essentially the world of trading sovereign individuals. Um, and that's great. I think most activities should occur there. But the reason why blockchains contributed something fundamental to the prior cypherpunk vision of crypto commerce, which was all just decentralized sovereign individuals, is because some institutions need more credibility than any one person, whether elected or not, can ever have. Uh, and it's, so the, the, the important thing about a blockchain isn't what it does when there's a governance crisis, is the fact that there's a bunch of rules written down in code, which is what it does when there's not a governance crisis. Uh, and then when there's a governance crisis, everybody understands what we're supposed to do is as much as possible restore things to the point where we have predictable, credible operation. Um, another question I want to point, one last one, is about revocability. Is democracy a suitable uh, revoker? Like, let's say we did have uh, a dictator and then a democratic process is able to revoke it. Because, like, you know, in the U.S., there's a militia group called the Three Percenters, right? And they call themselves that because, you know, supposedly 3% of uh, colonists rose up to fight the British during the American Revolution. And so, you know, if, if, if it just depended on democracy, there would have no, you know, the, rev the revocation of the British monarchy wouldn't have happened. It, it needed to people, be people, you know, relying on force in order to do that. Um, yeah, does, can democracy act as a revoker? Uh, I would, setting aside questions as to the validity of the historical narrative, the other trajectories of colonies which didn't bother uh, violently seceding from the British and did just fine afterwards anyway, uh, I, I, I would like to note that that was only to set up the initial state. Democracy, at least, you know, modulo messiness and practice has been stable in, in the uh, United States since then, without, without, with, without uh, violence excluding civil war. I think if you look now, the playbook for dictators is essentially to get democratically elected and then subvert that democracy and use that to gain legitimacy. I think that would be a huge but why? problem. If in you that were system. the dictator, Jack, and you got democratically elected, what tools would you use to subvert democracy in the future? Disinformatse. And guns. The difference and, and the uh, monopoly Putin's, on the use of Putin's force. Putin's doing pretty good at just the disinformatse these days. Sure, the control of media and the monopoly on the use of I'm not suggesting dictators in practice for human governments. That sounds terrible. Uh, let's do far less of those. But dictators for blockchains sound pretty good. Yeah, fair enough. All right, there we have it. Oh, one, sorry, one last. Yeah, well, I, maybe this is maybe this is uh, too much for this session. Uh, if we're going to switch to another governance topic, but I was wondering, all this stuff about dictators, I feel like it's it's kind of just discussions about one particular nuanced uh, decision making technique, right? I mean, you can use a futarchy or, or any kind of other complicated thing. Instead of a dictator, dictator is just one of those class of things. I would argue that when you get down to it, the one governance rule is that one third of uh, one third of token holders or validators. I, there's a balance between those two, but uh, can can halt the blockchain, right? So it's like, all, would you guys agree that all this stuff about whether it's a dictator or not a dictator, as votes or liquid democracy, is actually just debating about the nuances of how things get done? I mean, it, it is kind of like debating about company organization. Like when we're talking about blockchains, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I mean. 
I want to clarify that there are two dimensions here and they're different. One dimension is, is something that like operational dictatorship. Operate, an operational dictator taken to the extreme would be a MySQL database. And that's not what we're arguing about. We're arguing about logical dictatorship, whether one particular entity has the ability to change the rules, given that other entities have the option to uh, you know, fork the rules and choose their own. In a sense, everybody's a dictator. That's, that's the world that I'm proposing. All right, thank you guys for coming up. Awesome, thank you. Thank you for joining us on this week's episode. We release new episodes every week. You can find and subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you have a Google Home or Alexa device, you can tell it to listen to the latest episode of the Epicenter podcast. Go to epicenter.tv slash subscribe for a full list of places where you can watch and listen. And while you're there, be sure to sign up for the newsletter so you get new episodes in your inbox as they're released. If you want to interact with us, guests, or other podcast listeners, you can follow us on Twitter. And please leave us a review on iTunes. It helps people find the show, and we're always happy to read them. So thanks so much, and we look forward to being back next week. Thank you.